0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented
1: by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Thank you. Today, I welcome you again for
0: another session Great session of SACPA. As you know, uh, SACPA is a volunteer organization, nonprofit, who relies on contributions of its members. The uh, charge for the uh, lunch is $11. There are baskets on the uh, table, and I would ask that each table designate someone to take charge of that and have it ready by 12:30 30 for pickup. Memberships are available with Lisa over here in the corner. Thank you, Lisa. And uh, I would like to uh, recognize the University of Lesbridge, Country Kitchen, Catering, uh, Shaw TV, and the uh, Lesbridge Heralds for their uh, support of uh The... Uh, uh, Outline of the uh, meeting will be 25 to 30 minutes uh, for the uh, presentation and lunch, and quest- followed by question period, finishing around 1.30. We'd like to try and keep to uh, time. I'm uh, Michael Cormican, and I'm your moderator today. The topic for the week... Uh, read- for this uh, session is uh, our urgent and pressing Medicare issues facing Albertans in 2013? Some may think Medicare issues have gone away with uh, the election of a more uh, liberal Tory premier. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going uh, just fine with health care in Alberta. How is the provincial government under Alison Redford doing as stewards of the uh, Alberta Health Services. Should we be concerned about the state of the primary health care? Is creeping privatization of health care still an issue? And are the recent cuts to home care the right way to go? What are the pressing uh, decisions and choices facing Alberta, and particularly our elected government, in the coming months? Where do we need to be alert? we and informed as we move forward. Speaker will explore and discuss these issues and choices. Our speaker today is um, Sandra um, Azakar. Sandra is the Executive Director of Friends of Medicare based in uh, Edmonton, coordinating things for our province on issues of Medicare. Previously, she has uh, worked as a protection employee, a community organizer, and labor activist. Prior to coming to Friends of Medicare, Sandra was elected as the Vice President of the Upper Union of Provincial Employees. She was a member of the, the Board of Directors of uh, Friends of Medicare for six years before becoming its Executive Director this past year. I invite you to the uh, podium, Sandra. <laughs>
1: Um, and thank you, uh, all of you, for coming out. Um, hopefully, um, you know, the conversation that we'll have will be uh, productive in that we, there's a lot of issues that I think that people need to be talking about. So this is a really good starting point for me. Um, as Michael was introducing me, I, I was a child protection worker, so it's a different thing than protection worker. I was uh, in child welfare for a very long time. And um, so I, I got to see quite a bit uh, of the realities that some children live within in this province and, and some of the families, and certainly have a great understanding of what social determinants of health um, that we should be focusing on should be. But before I start, I was just going to tell you a very, a very, very short story. Um, we ha- I, uh, I come from Chile. I'm originally from Chile, and... Uh, I, I came here as a child, and so I grew up in Canada, um, and in 1994, I went back to uh, Chile to live there, and I had um, the opportunity to uh, teach at a very uh, high-end uh, uh, school, um, teach English, and, and my, my job was basically just to sit there and speak to people that wanted to practice their English, and most of these people that could afford that school were very rich, and and very well-to-do, and so I, I was sitting there with a, a bank executive one day, and we were talking about the uh, health care system in Canada, and he was saying how he did not agree with that type of, uh, of um, Medicare system because um, it brings bad ideas to, to people, and um, he said that, um, I always remember this because he was very disgusted that at the bank that he worked at, the benefits that had been given to him had also been given to the people that were running the elevator up and down. And he was disgusted at the fact that his wife had to give birth to their child at the same hospital that the elevator guy gave, his wife gave birth to. And there was so much, uh, and, and he said, you know, looking at me straight in the face, that I just cannot understand how that's, that's good for anybody when you mix people in that way.
0: And I'm thinking,
1: wow, I am so glad I live in a country where those values are not, those classic kind of values are not um, something that we um, are proud of or, or even live by because I, I, um, I certainly don't want my children to ever have to uh, uh, do without just because they don't have uh, money. Um, so I was asked to, um, to answer a lot of, uh, a lot of questions and, and when I was trying to prepare for this presentation, 30 minutes minute seems to be um, not enough time to kind of go in-depth. So if, if you have any questions or things that I missed during my presentation, please ask, and, and I'll try my best to uh, to answer them. I'm not a physician. I'm not an economist. I'm not a policymaker. But I'm one of those Albertans that, that uh, lives by common sense, and i like to believe that uh, we have a voice as well in this debate. So um, the first question that uh, that was asked of me was uh, some. I, I think's going just fine with our healthcare in Alberta, and my short answer to that has to be a very big no. I, I think if uh, if that was the case, friends of Medicare um, would not have to uh, exist, and um, we have existed for over thirty years, and our sole purpose has been to promote the protection uh, and expansion of our healthcare system in this province. Um, our health care system is an iconic social program, um, and, which is Canadian, and it has survived as long as it has because we Canadians have common values that we share when it comes to equity and accessibility to health care. With that said, we need public policy to be an articulation of our values, not political ideology. Sustainability of our health care system should also be about sustaining our values. M- Medicare was established in the first place because for-profit health costs were spiraling out of control. It was, and it still is, the most cost-effective way to deliver health care. Canadians built a public health care system so that we all would have equal access to care based on need, not on our ability to pay. You know, we realize that things have changed. We're not, we're not uh, um, you know, so naive to think that we, can't, that we can maintain our, our healthcare system just like it was when we first created it over 50 years ago. Um, our system has always been 70% uh, public and, and 30% private, and uh, we have managed to make this system sustainable. But in the last little bit, um, we have seen an erosion of our our public system, and we continue to see it um, mostly because of of what we have been um, not informed of and certainly the, the political framework where all these changes have come from. And so this is uh, the question where, how is the provincial government under Alison Bedford doing as stewards of Alberta Health Services? I think, at this point, I'm going to talk a little bit about the money part, because sometimes if we don't follow the money, we don't really understand where the system, uh, the crisis begins, right? So, before we start, I would like to, for all of us to keep in mind that we have had the same party at the realm for, in our, of our province for over 40 years. And this is not an attack on any individuals who vote for them or who vote for the Wild Rose or anybody else in, in our political system. I think, this, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of us, regardless of your political strength, that believe in public health care in, in the public health care system. Um, and this is an important point to remember as health care policies have been developed over the years. And implemented accordingly throughout this time. So, 41 years of the same type of political framework that we've lived in. Um, we have seen privatization by stealth, very slowly, slowly normalizing a lot of the privatization process. We have seen a change in definition of what medical essential services are, especially in the area of long-term care and seniors care. We have seen a delisting of services. We have seen an over-regulation of hospitals and an under-regulation of private facilities throughout these years. When we met with Dr. Regal recently, when Friends of Medicare met with him um, and Mr. Lockwood, they were very clear that, say, uh, Alberta Health Services has been tasked with delivering health care and that Minister Horn and the, the Department of Health are the ones in charge of policy. I'm not entirely sure how you can make policy, uh, how you can make delivery uh, decisions without really, uh, without policy, or policy without effective delivery of services. To me, that that doesn't just, it can't be separated that way. You know, uh, all the changes that we have seen have been based on policy, and the fact that they separate themselves in that way just doesn't make sense to us. So now we go into the money part. Right. According to the recently released data from the Canadian Institute of Health Information, which is the only health information that we can kind of access, Alberta's per capita spending on hospital is now 41 percent above the national figure. We spend 2,179 per person compared to 1,544 per the national average. Um, Alberta spends 16 billion, 20 percent more per per capita on health care services than the national average. That's a good number for you guys to kind of keep in mind because, uh, you know, it, it kind of brings uh, to the forefront of what changes have happened in the last uh, years since the creation of Alberta Health Services. The first three years since Alberta Health Services was created, 2009, 2010, and 2011, Alberta's provincial government health spending on hospitals and continuing care, Alberta Health Services' core operation, had increased by approximately 45%, 50% per year. That's more than in any three-year period since 1980 to 82, including 1991 to 2001, when the province poured money into the regions to catch up after the deep cuts in the early 1990s. Not only has Alberta Health Services not saved as any money, it's actually driving up Alberta's health spending at the fastest rate in 30 years. This is only an approximation, but it's a good one, and it's the only one available. I pulled the Canadian Institute of Health Information uh, National Health Spending Report, which is uh, the definite source on health spending in Canada. And it's much worse than I thought. It it actually surprised me. There are no exact comparable uh, national figures because the CIHI reports in standards categories, which of course cannot line up with what the regions in each province are funded to deliver. But you can take hospitals and other institutions as a proxy for funding to a regional health authority. Or Alberta Health Services in this case, right? Alberta, Alberta uh, total hospital spending went, went from five point nine, uh, sorry, 5.19 billion in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight, to eight point five uh, two billion at the end of this f- fiscal year, an increase of about sixty four percent. Alberta, um, and that, and that's huge when you think about all the money that's being spent and uh, the value of the services that we're seeing in hospitals. Alberta Health Services keeps saying they're really efficient, that they have low administrative costs, that they have eliminated duplication, etc. The point about efficiency is um, is critical to Alberta Health Services' uh, reputation because it, it was created supposedly because the system was so top heavy before. According to Alberta Health Services' own 2011-2012 financial statements. The numbers of non-executive managers grew by 9% last year alone and the total cost of paying them grew by 15%. Those are huge numbers, but the bigger concern is what we don't know, including the cost of the new province-wide electronic health record system, which in reality is a very good um, expenditure that we've had. But we haven't seen how much it has actually caused burdens to have this system in place or yet to, to question the benefits of having this health record system. We, haven't, we, don't, we do not know how much extra-cost Alberta Health Services is paying to contract out surgery and other medical services, and long-term care is a different ballgame when we start talking about it. We pay private firms their profit margins, we pay them to build duplicate infrastructure, we pay them to pay their CEOs and management teams even more than Alberta Health Services pays itself, even though we all have the same expertise in the public system. Our previous Health Minister, Jean Switzeski, implemented a five-year funding plan where he proposed 6% increased funding for health care, and in the third year we would only be seeing a 4.5% increase in funding. That's this year, on April the 1st, that we supposedly are going to be getting that uh, increase in funding. This funding plan did not include the operating costs for the new facilities, such as the South Health Campus in Calgary, and all the new facilities that are promised to be built are outside of that funding formula as well. This year, we saw the completion of the Edmonton Clinic, and like I said before, the South Health Campus. They were the classic offsetting of Edmonton-Calgary projects. They are the two really big excesses of the building boom that Dutton talked about when he was in, in, in charge of health care. These two in particular are gigantic holes in the 6% funding formula. The government knew when they announced it, but it didn't, didn't include operating costs for the new hospitals, and they just did that and hoped nobody would ask. And indeed, and indeed we didn't. The Alberta Health website actually specifies that Alberta Health Services received an extra $267 million in 2011-2012 to operate the two facilities on top of the famous 6%. So on a $10 billion in operating funding, that's an extra 2.7%. So that adds up to 6.8%, not the 6%. The five-year funding formula has turned out to be a bit of a stretch. You know, these figures were directly lifted from a Graydon report, uh, who was an MLA in the Grand Prairie area in 2002. The government had no idea if they would work, and indeed they didn't. But no one noticed, and no one talked about it. We don't talk about the actual health system at all anymore. We talk about lavish expense accounts, and we saw that conversation happen all of last summer with all these uh, executives that were fired and let go for various reasons, and we found out that we, as taxpayers, had been incredibly kind in terms of paying them so much money to go away. Uh, This April 1st, 2013, when Alberta Health Services is supposed to step down to 4.5%, or as rumors have it, not even providing this increase, this will be Alberta's own fiscal cliff. No organization that has become used to 8.7% can possibly do it without massive disruption, and we're already starting to see that within our healthcare system. To further this point a little bit, in the five years prior to Alberta Health Services hospital spending went up, a total of 54%. The annual average was 9% instead of 8.2%, and in the five years since uh, we will see um, that we have seen this coming. Alberta Health Services is costing us 500 million more than um, we'd be spending even if we had to let if we had let the old regions keep growing their spending at the same rate that they were spending before they were disbanded. That's 500 million extra that Alberta Health Services is costing us, and that's significant when we're asking about where all this money is going. Right? The average of 9% as in the five years before uh, Alberta Health Services, and like I said before, there's just no explanation as to where this money is going. No one even asks because the government has clamped out so totally on real information and discussion. Following the money in Alberta Health Services is the hardest thing to do, and as an advocacy group... We have such a difficult time getting any kind of explanation as to where the money is being allocated and if it's being allocated to the right place and to the right resources. We restructured the entire $12 billion a year system, one-third of the government's annual budget, and the story we gave the public about why we did it, it was simply not accurate we got this gigantic black box now running the health system, and we have no idea why Stellmeglet Library like, like created or what it's supposed to be doing. One thing we do know is that the story we've been told is simply not true. The, um, when we look at the government's own website, we, uh, we see that the internal status, uh, savings that they claim to, to have had this last year of $600 million. Um, It's basically an internal reallocation of the money that was in there. It wasn't a saving at all. And this point, the point is how much more are we putting in each year. It's not what it, 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 actually, sorry, I should start that again. The point is how much more are we putting in each year, not what AHS does with it. And that's basically when we kind of drop the ball in terms of um, making sure that this government is accountable. Now, Albert, uh, Friends of Medicare is quite concerned about what will be happening on March the 7th when the budget uh, comes down. Um, on April the 1st, when we are supposed to receive this 5%, which um, Mr. Lockwood has already indicated that we're not going to be perhaps getting, um, we had, even before this doom and gloom talks, again, Minister Horner um, and Stephen Lockwood had already indicated that Alberta Health Services needed to find 185 million cuts to every single department. They began in Edmonton by canceling the nurse practitioner position in the Edmonton Down Syndrome Clinic.
0: I don't know if you guys are,
1: are familiar with uh, the University of Alberta um, Hospital has about 50 clinics where they, where they specialize uh, service, special services are delivered to various groups in the community. And the uh, Edmonton Down Syndrome Clinic uh, provide services to children across the Edmonton area and northern Alberta. So the entach- uh area that they have is quite large. They had a nurse practitioner who was a navigator for the health care system for these families. These kids have uh, very specific uh, medical needs, most of them, and they needed those services. Um, Before 2011, it was the Edmonton Down Syndrome Society that was actually paying for the medical services at the hospital through the the fundraising that they did every single year in a program called Buddy Block. In 2011, Alberta Health Services recognized that this service was a medical essential service, and they started paying for the uh, the staff, the uh, nurse practitioner. But that was one of the first clinics that they wanted to close We said, no, this is a medically essential service. You can't leave these families without these uh, medical services. They agreed and and reinstated the funding to the nurse practitioner. But that's not the point. The point is that through all this exercise of trying to prevent the closure of that clinic, we found out that quite a few of those clinics are actually being financed and funded by charities. So basically, the government is depending on the donations of individuals just like yourself to finance services within a major hospital, and that's not a thing, and that hasn't been talked about except for the you kind know, of that we were talking about the uh, the uh, down service plan. So funding is what's causing you know the, the way that this government decides to fund things is sometimes the way that uh, we um, we run into problems within our our healthcare system. So one of the ways that they're also cutting in every department is by optimizing the scheduling of the frontline staff. So the, the RNs are seeing this, the auxiliary nursing, the LPNs, the healthcare aides, the, uh, the general services people, which are, are anywhere between the, the, the cooks to the, uh, the maintenance people, all of them are, are having their scheduling re at. And, and cut down in terms of that. You know, we're seeing uh, shorter, uh, long full-time shifts. We're seeing people who normally work at various rates in the hospital having to take make a decision about how it is that they're going to work or not work. So it's going to seriously affect some of the, the, the front-line staff in terms of the, their quality of life and their ability to, to meet other um, employment uh, responsibilities that the majority of them have. The other big thing that we're very concerned about is uh, the introduction of the patient care-based funding formula that we're already seeing um, being uh, piloted in quite a few of the, uh, of the uh, long-term care facilities, the public long-term care facilities. We have uh, had uh, Capital Care, Bethany Care in Calgary, Care West, and Covenant Health, and I know that you have uh, facilities here from Covenant Health that provide these services, and they've already announced that they will be cutting people. Um, they started off by uh, announcing the cut of 48 LPNs in the Capital Care um, sites in, in the Edmonton area, but you got to remember that they say 49 keep, uh, positions, 49, 48 positions, sorry, in uh in the healthcare industry means 48 full time equivalents. So let's say for you to work full time equivalents, you need to work at 1.0, and that gives you 36, 37.5 hours a, um, a month. The majority of people work half of that, and some of them work a third of that. Some of them only work a portion of that. So in the Dickens Field um, long term care facility, for example, we are already hearing that at least 61 positions have already been uh, laid off, right? And that's just in one of those facilities. So when they're talking about 48, 48 positions, LPM positions, they're talking about a lot more people than that. So what does that translate into? Uh, not only for the staff, but for the the quality of care that those residents are going to be getting, right? They're bringing in people, um, they're hiring uh, uh, nurses' aides. But those people in those facilities have higher, much higher medical needs than what an N.A. can provide. They can provide the, uh, the basic care, but they cannot provide the medical needs. And seniors change from one day to the next. You could be completely healthy one day and then unhealthy the next. I only have one minutes.
0: Oh my gosh, I have like about
1: 20 pages to go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So this, this is where we're seeing that problems with this, uh, that this uh, the funding formula that this government is trying to provide. They're doing this funding formula in, in home care and in long-term care. What they're doing is basically doing an assessment on people that require these services and attaching a value to the needs right? And now that would work great, because I mean it, it would certainly meet your own personal needs, but it doesn't translate into that. It translates into the healthcare system giving a value to a service, and then determining whether the resources are available. So it's not really the tool driving the, the, the needs. There's nothing wrong with the tool. The tool is great if you were working with numbers and things, but you're working with people. And so once you've been assessed, it takes a long time for you to be reassessed and, and given a different value in terms of how much money they will give you as a patient. And that's and that should be a, a concern for people that are receiving services at home, that are receiving services in, in institutions that are, um, you know, quasi uh, long-term care. This continuing care model that they implemented to begin with does not recognize the changing needs of, of seniors and. And uh, we're not in a situation where we can provide hospitality services just to some people. Um, When we're talking about seniors care, we're talking about an integral health care system. Home care, so that you guys know, um, has been privatized uh, for at least 18 to 20 years now. 73% of the health care budget goes into uh, to pay agencies, and there's no way of tracking how that money is allocated. We know that the frontline workers in those agencies are, are, are seen as subcontractors. They don't get paid reasonable wages. They have to pay for their own transportation. They go into these homes and have to do this and that, and they have no help at all. So they're they incredibly prone to uh, you know, injuries and so forth, and uh, and it's not a good state for them uh, to provide services because there's always an inconsistency of workers. When they're not available, the RNs and and all the other um, people have to step in, and and often those people, too, are are overburdened in terms of case loads. There is no formal um, wait list for home care, but there's definitely an informal wait for uh, services that home care provides right now. You're looking at six to nine months for physiotherapy month, you're waiting for at least 11 weeks for a lower leg assessment, which is really important when you're a senior. And you're looking for anywhere between nine weeks so that you can get equipment assessment done. Uh, I'm not too sure how it is here, but that's the way that it is in the bigger cities. We're supposed to we have way more resources and more staffing. So in, in, in terms of long-term care facilities, you know what we're seeing is the closing of uh, carving days. Um, you saw that in the news all of uh, last summer. We're seeing more beds being closed in the Stetler Long-Term Care Facility, the Bashaw Long-Term Care Facility. We're seeing um, maternity wards closed, like in, in the Banff Spring Maternity um, Ward. Um, that hospital's going to not have any, any services for people in that community. And, and living in a, in a smaller community, you also see the centralization of services that leaves the rural areas without proper and, uh, and primary uh, care that this government is so um, big on. Um, we have, um, I had this whole thing about the uh, uh, for-profit clinics because that's a huge issue for us right now as well. And it, w- it was a good thing that the, this uh, queue jumping inquiry was able to kind of bring this to the front uh, of, of everybody's attention, the fact that these for-profit clinics are in fact undermining our public system um, by by allowing people to pay for uh, services ahead of everybody. We recognize that you can't quantify pain or human suffering or illness, but we don't want to have a two-tier system when, when services will only be available to you um, because you have the money to pay. And that's uh, one of the biggest realities with the, the creation of all these private clinics that have um seen an explosion of them within the last couple of uh, uh, years. And, uh, Calgary is a big thing. Am I out of time?
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had done so much better in <laughs> cutting myself
1: down. Yeah, you um, know and emergency wait times again it was a, they they were set uh, they had set targets that they haven't met in the last two years um, we haven't seen basically any kind of increases in there. And just just so that you know, I, I just got a call this morning from uh, the Royal Alex Hospital where they're getting rid of 18 uh, medical transitional beds, which basically are the beds that uh, seniors use when before they go into long term care. Um, that was a creation in February of 2011 that they had done so that they could address the uh, the uh, emergency department uh, um, blockage. And, uh, and again, now they resorted to cutting that those services at the Royal Alex Hospital. The 18 beds that are going to be closed down, um, 31 LPNs are out of a job um, for that, uh, just because of the budget cut. And, um, and it's not something that uh, we look forward to. And I, and I think this is a time when, when we as Albertans, again, need to start organizing ourselves around the maintaining and the protection and the expansion of our healthcare system. I think it's it's time that all communities start having this conversation about private versus public once again. Um, because if we don't take action now, we're gonna we're gonna see the loss and, and the slow decline of what we have uh, become accustomed to and what we expect out of our taxpayers uh, out of our tax money that we pay into the system. Um, so that we all have the same uh, quality care that we all deserve as Albertans. I have about 10 more pages to go through, but uh, I have no time. So maybe when you guys ask me questions, I can give you more information. Sorry. (laughs)